Modernity has witnessed two movements that we might call Romanticism, separated by a century and a half. First, the late 1700s and early 1800s saw a cultural explosion. New ways of writing were married to new modes of philosophy and politics. Shelley and Goethe urged people to challenge old orthodoxies and think for themselves, governed by imagination and love. Blake wrote and illustrated astonishing visions. Rousseau and Wordsworth preached new attentiveness to the natural world and its rhythms. Mary Wollstonecraft wrote powerfully on the rights of women. As revolutions swept Europe, all the old sclerotic certainties and meagre conventionalities were upended. Bliss was it in that dawn to be alive, Wordsworth reminisced, looking back. But to be young was very heaven. There had been cultural revolutions before in Britain, most recently the middle of the 17th century, when levellers, diggers and others had ridden the political upheaval of the Civil War to try and remake England into something more utopian. But these earlier movements lacked the army of artists, poets and musicians mobilised by Romanticism, and so their revolution has proved less enduring. Not that the Romantics achieved all they hoped, their revolution was largely absorbed and metabolised by a Victorian counter-reaction, leaving only a heritage of glorious art. In the 1960s, a new wave of Romanticism swept the globe. Like the first, it had strong pastoral, ecological and social justice components. And like the first, it preached love, freedom and imagination. The latter fed in part, as it often had been in the 1800s, by drugs to counter increasingly mechanised conformism and authoritarianism of society as a whole. Most importantly, like the first Romanticism, this new movement mobilised artists, poets and writers, Ginsberg, Kerouac, Delaney, Didion, but more importantly, composers. Indeed, the main artistic throughput of this new revolution in art and culture was musical, not verbal, or more precisely, was a potent combination of the two the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, the Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan. Rock music came from nowhere to become, suddenly, the new cultural currency of the world. Arguably, the youthful utopian energy of this second Romanticism was even more swiftly assimilated than the first had been. By 1971, Roger Daltrey was howling the last line of Won't Get Fooled Again, Peter Townsend's paean to revolutionary disillusionment, Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And yet, to an even greater degree than the first Romanticism, this second movement left behind a huge, still-living and fertile body of art. Indeed, it may be that this body of work has had a bigger cultural influence and remains more important to more people than anything else coming out of the 20th century, including cinema and TV. I say all this by way of trying to situate Gwyneth Jones's rich, extraordinary, bold-as-love quintet of novels. Because these novels strike me as intensely romantic, not in the casual sense of being a love story, although they are a love story, but in the deeper sense, the revolutionary sense, the sense that invokes a profound engagement with imagination, liberation and change. This is the sense that sought to link the natural world and people in a new sense of community informed by political radicalism, that sought to find imaginative and emotional transcendence in drugs. 
Not that Castles Made of Sand is ever starry-eyed or naive about its characters or their world. On the contrary, although Jones is capable of powerful and evocative tenderness when the story calls for it, her story omits none of the brutalities and cruelties of actual politics and history, of actual people living through difficult times. But throughout, this novel brims with a revolutionary energy that connects it closely to these two earlier phenomena. Castles Made of Sand picks up its story at exactly the point the previous novel in the sequence, Boulder's Love, ends. In that first novel, guitarist Axe Preston, his friend Sage Pender, and their mutual love interest, singer Fiorinda, avatars, in a sense, of King Arthur, Lancelot, and Guinevere, emerge out of the welter of near-future societal collapse and violence as figures with real political power, with Axe as dictator of a fracturing Britain. 